Hi, I'm Alan Knox, and thanks for listening to the Lamp and Light Podcast. Psalm 119, verse 105 says, Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. This podcast seeks to let the Bible shine into our hearts and minds by hearing the word preached. This first season is a collection of sermons from the early chapters of the book of Psalms that I preached at Crossroad Christian Church in McKinney, Texas. Thanks again for listening, and I hope you enjoy this episode. So um, I want you to think for a moment about how many times, if I were to ask you the question, how many times in your lifetime have you been lied to? Uh, now, I know that most of us wouldn't even be able to attach a number to that. But if you think about some of those times, some of them may have been uh, a person who lied to you because they believed it was in your best interest. In other words, they, were, they were told you something that wasn't true because they thought it was for your own good. Some have been people who lied to us uh, in order to manipulate us. Um, in particular, maybe to manipulate us into buying something. Or to voting for someone since the election is this week. And we've all had that experience, maybe of being at a car lot and, you know, they pull out some old junker car and they t- start telling you all these wonderful things about this car. And, or maybe you bought a car one time that someone told you all these wonderful things about. And then the first week it starts falling apart. You know, we recognize there are people in this world who lie to us, sometimes believing it's for our own good or for the good of the people around us, sometimes because... They want to take advantage of us, and sometimes people will lie just for the reason of trying to hurt us. Has someone ever made you a promise but was unable to follow through with that promise? In this case of not intentionally lying but just being unable to follow through. Psalm 12 is a contrast of the lies that people tell compared to the truth that God speaks. And the question that I want to set before you this morning is, which one influences you more? The word of people or the word of God? Let's read together Psalm chapter 12. Save, O Lord God, for the godly one is gone. For the faithful have vanished from among the children of man. Everyone utters lies to his neighbor. With flattering lips and a double heart they speak. May the Lord cut off all flattering lips, the tongue that makes great boast. Those who say, with our tongue we will prevail, our lips are with us. Who is master over us? Because the poor are plundered. Because the needy groan, I will now arise, says the Lord. I will place him in the safety for which he longs. The words of the Lord are pure words, like silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times. You, O Lord, will keep them. You will guard us from this generation forever. On every side, the wicked prowl as violence is exalted among the children of man. 
So this uh, is, a, is really a passage of Scripture in, an, in a poetic fashion sets before us the picture of living in a world where everyone lies. That's number one on our outline. Living in a world where everyone lies. So this is what the world, and I think this is how you should see this, this is what the world sometimes feels like. Verses 1 and 2. Save, O Lord, for the godly one is gone, for the faithful have vanished from among the children of man. Everyone utters lies to his neighbor. With flattering lips and a double heart, they speak. Now, it is important, I think, to recognize this is an example of exaggeration and non-literal poetic language. So it is not that there is no one left on the earth who ever tells the truth, because obviously the psalmist uh, is concerned about this sort of thing, and, and we know that, that you know, in any culture, even a culture that is predominated by lies, there's always going to be a few people who have integrity, who try to live uh, in a right way. But the point here is that this has become widespread in the culture that the psalmist is living in. So these are people who have a double heart, meaning that they flatter you. They say one thing with their mouths, but in their minds and hearts, they're intending to accomplish something else. Um, you know, you, you might have the picture of the salesman. We're, there's not a whole lot of this that happens, not nearly as much maybe as it used to, but a salesman who knocks on your door to try to sell you a vacuum cleaner. And they start out saying, Oh, you know, sir or madam, you, you look so nice today. And you recognize, okay, you really, you probably didn't even notice what I look like because you're saying that in order to make the sale. Or the car salesman who says, you know, you, you really seem like a pretty smart person. I'm not going to try to trick you. And then they try to trick you. That's, that's the sort of image that we have here. I'm reminded of various places in Scripture where a culture was really deeply depraved. I mean, we understand from the Bible that all human beings are depraved in the sense that all human beings are sinful. We are separated from God. We cannot know God purely on our own reason and understanding. But there are times, uh, for instance, the time of Noah, when God looks upon the earth and says the heart of every human being is set on evil all of the time. Or we think of the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah that were so evil that God destroyed them. Paul says in Romans 1.28, And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind, to do what ought not to be done. So there is this sense as we read the first few verses of this psalm that the psalmist is living in a culture that is, that is in that place where they have turned their back on God and as a result their thinking has become darkened so that the culture becomes more and more obviously depraved. 
All human hearts are sinful and depraved, separated from God. But when the manifestation of that depravity really comes to the forefront, there, there are some evil cultures in this world. And so, then in verse 3 and 4, there is a curse spoken against the wicked. Verses 3 and 4, May the Lord cut off all flattering lips, the tongue that makes a great boast, those who say, With our tongue we will prevail, our lips are with us, who is master over us. Now, first of all, i just got to say I love the phrase, our lips are with us. Uh, I mean, that's just, that just strikes me as really funny. But, uh, but what it means is what comes out of our mouths and what is in our hearts is aligned. We are, we are using our words to accomplish our heart's desire. We're manipulating people. We're lying, we're doing whatever we need to to accomplish what our hearts desire, and our hearts desire is evil. So the psalmist is cursing those, saying, God, and when it says cut off, off you know, that's not a surgical procedure being recommended here where the lips would be cut off. It is, it is the psalmist's poetic way of saying, all people who use their words to manipulate and deceive and influence towards evil, God, stop them. Make it so that they are unable to do that. Silence them in some shape or fashion. Now, there is, I think, an important point here to make. As Christians, we are called upon to pray for the conversion and salvation of all people. So when we encounter people who are deceivers, liars, seeking to influence this culture for evil here in the United States of America, our first response is, Lord, we pray for their salvation. God, we pray that you would convert them and draw their hearts to you, that they would repent of their sins and turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's our first reaction. That's how it should be. That's what we are taught in the New Testament. We are to pray for all people to come to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. But it is also right that we would pray on a regular basis that God would stop evil people from succeeding in their wicked schemes. And, and when you see things like, you know, the Psalms talk about break the arm of the wicked, that, that's the idea. It's not, it's not a desire to inflict physical punishment. It is a desire, God, make them unable to accomplish the, the evil things that they are scheming towards. And I think it is still right for Christians to pray that way. That, God, if a person is, is unresponsive to the gospel, then make it so that they, it's difficult and they can't accomplish the evil things they want to accomplish. I remember many years ago being in a prayer meeting where we were praying about um, children who were being abducted around the world and sold into slavery. And, and you know, we, we kind of followed that line of thinking. There were people who prayed about, um, Lord, we pray that the people who are involved in this thing would be converted and they would repent of their sins and, you know, all of that. But some of the prayers were, Lord, just, just stop them. You know, make it so that they run out of money. Make it so it's not profitable. 
Make it so that the police catch them. Make it so that all of their schemes just fall apart. And I think that is a righteous prayer that we should pray for our country on a regular basis. If there are evil, unrepentant people who are leading our nation who will not repent, we should continue to pray for their salvation, but we should also pray that God would contain their evil so that they would not be allowed to accomplish evil things. So that's all under the heading of what is it like when you're living in a world where everyone lies? But into that world, and this is, you, know, you can sense the frustration, and I think the, the curse comes out of this frustration, the frustration that the psalmist feels that the culture is this way, that it seems as though everywhere you turn, somebody lies to you, somebody's seeking to deceive you or hurt you in some way. And now it is into that sort of culture that God speaks a word of promise. And that's number two in our outline. God speaks a word of promise. Here's the promise that God makes. Verse 5, because the poor are plundered, because the needy groan, I will now arise, says the Lord. I will place him in the safety for which he longs. This verse clearly tells us that God will only allow injustice to go on for so long. He will arise because the powerless in the culture are being abused by deceivers who have no power. Uh, this, this is uh, Proverbs 10, 29-30 says, The way of the Lord is a stronghold to the blameless, but destruction to evildoers. The righteous will never be removed, but the wicked will not dwell in the land. So again, I think, for instance, of Sodom and Gomorrah, in the, in the story that we have about that destruction of those cities, <clears throat> Abraham, it starts out with Abraham um, being in his tent and seeing these three beings come toward him. Three, in the appearance, men. And what, what comes to our knowledge is that one of those beings is a manifestation of God. And then the other two, most likely, are sort of angels. And the two angels go into the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. And they go, and, and it reads like this, that God says, we're going to go into the city to see if what we have heard about their evil is true. You could almost view this as sort of a trial. We're going to go in and put the city on trial. And the image here is of God reaching a point of saying, I've heard all of these evil things are true. And again, it's not denying that God has knowledge of all things, but this is how the text reads. God says, I, I, I'm receiving all these prayers, all these reports from, from people who talk about how evil this city is. And I'm going to send my angels down and they're going to, put the city on trial. Because if it is as evil as, as people say that it is, that it's, that's as far as I'm going to let it go. So there is a point where God says, I will not allow evil to go beyond a certain point. And God has, in the history of the world, overthrown nations. 
because they had become too evil. If you doubt that, then I would uh, you know, encourage you to go to a local travel agent and try to get a ticket to Assyria or to Babylon. Those nations no longer exist because God overthrew them in their wickedness. But I think as Christians, we should look beyond this. Here's how we are to understand this promise. So this is God saying, I am promising because the poor are being plundered and the needy grown, that I will arise. How should, as, as Christians, should we understand this? We should see this promise as the final day of judgment. God will arise on that day and deliver those who have trusted Him into eternal security. There's a day coming when all wickedness will be punished and removed. And that's exactly what the doctrine of hell is. Hell is the prison, so to speak, that keeps all those who are wicked away from all of those who are righteous. John describes in the book of Revelation the new Jerusalem in this way. Revelation 21, verse 27. But nothing unclean will ever enter it nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. So think about that for a moment. It says there specifically, anyone who does what is false. So here's the picture. The psalmist is living in a world where lying is so prevalent that it seems as though it's everywhere and everyone lies. And God is promising, I'm going to arise and deliver you to a place where no one lies. So, again, we should understand it this way. Either Jesus has paid for your sins or you will have to. Either the eternal one has suffered for you or you must suffer eternally for your sins. And then number three, where do we find truth in a world of lies? So again, I want you to just follow the train of thought because this is important here. The psalmist says, living in a world where everyone lies, God says, I will arise and deliver those who are in need from this world of lies. So what does that say then to the person, to the psalmist, who hears God's promise? First, notice the purity of God's word in verse 6. The words of the Lord are pure words, like silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times. This image of a furnace on the ground, uh, as I was reading some of the different commentaries and notes on some of this, uh, it, it can be thought of as saying um, a furnace made from the stuff of the ground. So this is like a clay, uh, it, it is a permanent clay furnace. In other words, they had, uh, you know, you, where you could use little portable things to 
heat up a little bit of metal, but it wouldn't purify the silver the way a full-blown heavyweight furnace would. So what this means is the Word of God is pure like silver, as pure as we can make it. So purified seven times, again, that idea of being completely pure. So using the best means that we have and repeating that method seven times, this is as pure as we can make silver. God's Word is pure like that. So, in other words, to say it more simply, God's words are not just pure, they are perfectly pure. Psalm 19, verse 8 says, The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. So, just notice the contrast that we should hold in our hearts very clearly in a world where I, you know it is it is I'm trying not to get too political here but it is a struggle to live in a world where you feel like both of the candidates from the two major parties are not telling the truth on a whole number of things and then but then when the media says they're not telling the truth you're not even sure if the media is telling the truth so it's hard it's hard to discern because we have no direct experience, who's lying the most? And that's an incredibly frustrating, you know, when you feel a responsibility to vote for uh, the best person for the highest office of the United States, when you feel like, as a Christian, a moral duty to try to work towards the righteousness of this nation, so you try to vote for the best person that you can, and you can't even tell who that is. Because each campaign is exaggerating the best qualities of their candidate and minimizing the most negative things about the, their candidate. And the, you know, the, then the opposite camp, they're, they're doing the reverse of that. They're trying to make their uh, evil traits as big as possible and their good traits as small as possible. And then you listen to the media, and you're not sure which side the media is on in this. And so it's very frustrating to live in this kind of world. But into that kind of world, God speaks a word that is perfectly pure. And as a result, believers have confidence in God's promise. Verse 7, you, O Lord, will keep them. You will guard us from this generation forever. So just, I mean, again, just follow the line of thought. Living in a world that's full of lies, God says, I will arise. And the psalmist, said, God, the psalmist says, God, you speak pure words. You will arise. You will deliver us. That there. There is certainty. There is truth. There is absolute knowledge in what you have said. God says that he will act, and the psalmist says that he is now confident that God will act. And this is true even while living in a world 
where the wicked are on the prowl. Verse 8, on every side the wicked prowl as vileness is exalted among the children of man. So what you should notice here is the circumstances don't change. The wicked prowl, prowl and vileness is exalted. So where does this confidence, the confidence that God is going to act, come from? It comes from God's Word. So a careful reading and thinking about God's Word leads us to have greater confidence in God's promise and to live by faith in a world that is corrupted and fallen. So this is what I meant when I said I wanted to lay before you the question, which has the greater influence in your life? The words of human beings, which even in the best scenario can have exaggeration or have finite knowledge or have uh, sometimes outright lies in them, or God's Word, which is always perfectly pure and always backed by His power. Which one has more confidence or which one has more influence in your life? Well, let me try to put this as simply as I can. If you are not reading your Bible often through the week, and depending only, if you're depending only on the sermons that I preach, um, then you are like a person who eats only one meal a week. Or maybe I could say, eats only one healthy meal a week, eats junk food the rest of the time, and then wonders, why am I in such bad health? See, the goal of what the Bible teaches us is that God's Word would fill our hearts and minds. That doesn't mean that we're able to quote every verse of the Bible. It doesn't mean that, um, you know, that we are all have sort of the equivalent of doctorates in theology, but it means that we have a working knowledge of Scripture, which means in any given situation, you have in your heart what the Word of God would tell you to do in that situation. The reason why we are more influenced by the world than by the scriptures really boils down to two things. One, we are not firmly convinced that God knows what he's talking about. Well, you know, I mean, we know God has told us about salvation. We believe what he's told us about the cross. We believe what he's, what he's told us about you know, grace by faith and all those things. But we don't necessarily know what he, believe, what he knows and what he would expect of us in how we go to work each week or how we vote or how we spend our money. We don't necessarily think God knows everything about that. Or at least we're not confident that he does. And the other reason is that we simply don't spend enough time with God's word. Now, I'm not trying to advocate for some sort of lifestyle that says, you know, you spend eight or nine hours a day reading and thinking about Scripture and just sort of, you know, work part-time and barely feed yourself and that, that sort of thing. But what I'm saying is there, there needs to be a continuous desire, a continuous desire for understanding. Think about what Proverbs says. Seek wisdom above all else. 
Well, the New Testament tells us that all wisdom is found in Christ. And Christ is revealed to us in the words of Scripture. And so we have a moral responsibility before God and before the world to let our hearts and minds be filled with God's Word. Now, what I am saying is, just really simply, I mean, I'll tell you, I think my practice is pretty simple. Now, I, I do it a little bit differently because of uh, you know, my time being devoted to ministry and, um, and just my own personal, my personality, I guess, in terms of studying. But I typically, you know, I, I'll take one book. I'm working my way through Proverbs right now. And I'll read one chapter a day. And for me, I add to that, I don't think you would necessarily need to do this, but I read to that reading a commentary on that chapter. But you could simply just read one chapter a day, but read it thinking, what does God want me to know from this chapter? If you just did that, I think, you know, over the course of time, you would gain an incredibly deep knowledge of Scripture. It would begin to be, you know, it's, it's, again, it's not, the goal is not to, you know, go to work one day and somebody says something and, and your mind pops, you know, Proverbs 10, verse 1. And it just comes, here it is. But as you go through all the parts of Scripture over the course of a few years even, the themes of Scripture, the main ideas of Scripture rise to the surface. And when those things are repeated in your heart and mind, and when you're thinking about what they mean and how they can be applied to your life, then when you are in a circumstance where you need to call upon the knowledge of God's Word, it's not that a verse will pop into your head necessarily, but certainly an idea that is consistent with Scripture will pop into your head. So here's the main point that we're to take away this week. Until the Lord returns, we will live in a world where there is evil and injustice and lies. Sometimes a, a culture will be further removed from that. So, you know, I mean, again, if you think back to the golden age, whatever the golden age is in your mind, the 50s or the 60s or the 70s or the 80s or whatever it would be when, you know, we used to have better moral standards and all these things, that is really irrelevant. In every year of American history, there were people who were lying and manipulating and trying to do evil. It's always been that way. In every culture of the world, at every time in history, there have been people who have been lying and trying to deceive and manipulate and control by power. So until the Lord returns, that's the world that we're going to live in. Sometimes better, sometimes worse. When a culture turns more and more away from God, then we may feel like wickedness is everywhere and speech is being used confidently to, uh, constantly to take advantage of and manipulate others. But the Bible is a history book of what God has done and also a book of promise about what God will do. And when we read it closely 
and allow it to become the central influence in our lives, then we come to, come to see the power of God's promise and we believe it more deeply. Only then can we live in a fallen world. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Lamp and Light Podcast. If you want to be updated when new episodes are available, make sure you subscribe. And if you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review so that more people can find this podcast in the future.